Another sniper I knew. It was the first week into a job in Morden that I'd just taken up, and it was a team meeting. And I remember that a lady called Irie made a really cutting dig. It was really unnecessary. At that time, I didn't know what was going on for her. I didn't know why she was doing it. I didn't know anybody at that stage, really. But I could see how uncomfortable everybody in the room was. And I remember my manager, Christian, as he turned to her and said, Are you criticising me, Irene? And he just sat there and looked at her. You could see her squirm in her seat because he'd surfaced the attack. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal about automation, getting leads, retargeting and sales funnels. You know, the stuff that'll actually make you money and doesn't empty your wallet. Get valuable, actionable information from me and other experts in the online marketing space, which will boost your business beyond its current boundaries. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Get Real About Business podcast. This is episode eight, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. As you know, the show is all about helping you be better in business. That means more sales, more growth, more clients, and a better class of clients better relationships among your team. However you define it, there are certain things that affect everything else. And one of the biggest things that will make a difference is about your relationships. Now, I've had a bit of a bee in my bonnet about education for quite some time now. Now, I'm not knocking education, but what I do think is that schools and colleges focus very much on academic education. But actually, it's social intelligence and emotional intelligence that have the biggest impact on our success in life. It's how we deal with relationships. I actually don't think schools or colleges really prepare you for that. And so therefore, it's really up to your upbringing, your relationships, and just perhaps an innate ability to work relationships and get the most out of them. Sales and marketing, building a successful team, it all comes down to relationships. So if you want growth in your business, however that looks, you need to have better relationships. And one thing that I've come to understand is that you cannot change other people as much as you'd like to. What we have to do instead is change ourselves. So we need to be better. It's no good wishing other people were better or they'd improve, they'd change or whatever. We need to be better leaders. We need to be better managers. We need to be better entrepreneurs. And we need to handle relationships better. How do we do that? Well, it comes down to how you interact with other people. It comes down to assertiveness and it comes down to confidence. So today, we're looking at assertiveness in action. We're looking at what it takes to be assertive, to influence others, to make an impact so that you can get more of what you want. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to get more of what we want. If you have influence over others, if they see you as an authority or at least someone they can respect, then they will tend to do what you ask. It's not to say that you'll get everything that you want. Of course you won't. But it will mean that you get more of what you want. And also, if we can be better at dealing with these relationships and more assertive, it means that the relationships we have tend to be far more enjoyable. So today, I'm going to give you loads of cool tips on how to deal with that. First up, we're going to look at what assertiveness is and why it is important. We're also going to be talking about values and beliefs and how they shape your self-image and confidence levels. And when we do this, I'm going to give you something that will be absolutely a game changer for you today. It's part of what I share on an assertiveness course that I run. And every time I do, it gets a huge reaction. People love it, and I'm sure you will too. And then finally, what we're going to do is we're going to delve into some proven strategies for dealing with a range of difficult people. 
It's all very easy being assertive when we're around people that we feel comfortable with. But what about in stressful situations? And what about with people who we know are typically difficult with us? So I'm going to give you some strategies to deal with those. In fact, we're going to look at 10 different behavioral types and what you can do about them. Now, as you know, I always love to give you something on this podcast, not just the information I'll be talking you through, but also something tangible that you can get your hands on. And today is about those 10 behavioral types. The cheat sheet I've put together will take you through all of the 10 different difficult behavior types that we'll be talking about today. Not only will it show you how to identify those difficult behavior types, but I'm also going to tell you how to deal with those. So if you're a computer now, I recommend that you go on and pick that up right now. It's a PDF download. You can get to it alongside the rest of my show notes at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash eight. If you don't have access to your computer, that's fine. We can do it later. And we'll still go through this information anyway. There's just going to be more for you on that cheat sheet. And I'll explain a little bit more later. So let's dive straight in. And probably the place to start really is to think about what assertiveness is. Being assertive is being able to express yourself with confidence without having to resort to passive, aggressive or manipulative behaviour. By developing your assertiveness and becoming aware of your own strengths and weaknesses, you can modify your behaviour for greater effectiveness in social and business interactions. So what we're talking about is becoming more assertive and building self-confidence, which in turn will help you achieve greater work effectiveness and productivity while putting you in control of your daily activities and making you more able to overcome stressful work situations. If you're assertive, people will see you as a leader or at least a respected person. If you're seen as a leader, people will follow you. Your sales will grow, your team will be happier, and more importantly, so will you. Now we all know what assertiveness looks or feels like. It's certainly not shouting or threatening or putting other people down, making them feel bad. We can recognize that as aggressive behavior, and it's certainly not just going along with things. There is a line between aggressive and passive behavior. So let's just think for a moment about human reactions to stressful situations. You've probably heard of fight or flight. When we find ourselves in stressful situations, part of our brain kicks in that makes us act quickly. Now that's been helpful for us as a species because it's one of the things that has enabled us to survive and evolve and become top of the food chain. We might fight our way out of a difficult situation or we might run and find safety. Now, there's all sorts of things going on chemically in the brain, but kind of that's not really important. What matters is that we understand that when we do that, we are not in control. These are automatic responses. Reacting to a situation and going immediately into a, an aggressive behavior or alternatively even backing down and becoming passive is not necessarily going to further our goals. What we need is to choose an intelligent response. Now, that's one of the things that Stephen Covey mentions in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says that we are responsible, not just responsible for our businesses and our family and our lives, but response-able, meaning that we're able to choose our responses rather than just going to default reactions. And that's what we do. When we come to a stressful situation, we react. What we need to do is to take a step back and make a choice rather than a reaction. So assertiveness is actually sort of halfway between being aggressive and being passive, but the difference is that you're actually in control. When you go into fight or flight mode, you are not in control. When you're in assertiveness, you are. 
Now, you will naturally be inclined one way or the other. You might be somebody who leans towards being aggressive in a difficult situation. In which case, if a client gives you a hard time, then you might become defensive and go on some smart aleck response that doesn't help the situation. Or alternatively, if a client demands something, if you're passive, then you might just give up and give them everything that they want and then feel like a doormat for doing it. And we can think of it also in terms of who wins and who loses. So if you're being aggressive towards me, then your mindset would be, I'm going to win, you're going to lose. Equally, if you're passive toward me, it would be, okay, you win, I lose. So therefore, you would give up your own wants, needs and feelings in order that I had mine met. That's okay if it's a deliberate choice. But in most cases, what we're talking about here is a natural gut reaction, and that's not always helpful. Assertiveness is about communicating your own wants, needs and feelings in a way that considers other people's wants, needs and feelings. It's recognising that we are both equally important and both require our wants, needs and feelings to be met. What it isn't is being manipulative. We sometimes often call this passive aggression. Passive aggression or manipulative behaviour tends to be behaviour that's not quite in control. Usually people have got something to say, they want to say it, but they often don't feel quite brave enough to say what's really on their minds. So it quite often comes out as sarcasm or undermining people, but not outrightly stating what it is that you want. Now, you will have a natural tendency towards either aggression or passivity. You probably know it already. And in case you don't, think about a time when you've given people feedback or had to tell them something that you thought that perhaps they wouldn't like to hear. On one end of the scale, you could be so honest about what you're feeling right now that you could actually damage that relationship. So that's aggression. On the other end of the scale, you're passive and you could be so polite trying to get your points of view across that it doesn't get heard at all. People miss the point entirely because you haven't spoken clearly. Now, you won't be completely one or the other, but you will be on a line between them and decide where you are right now. And what you're probably going to need to do in stressful situations is to move yourself toward the other end of the scale. Now, for me, I naturally err towards being more passive. It doesn't necessarily make me weak, but it's because I'm human and I like to get along with other people. It matters to me a lot what people think about me. And maybe it shouldn't, but it does. And so I tend to look for approval and I tend to go along with things sometimes. Even if I think they're perhaps not the right things to do, sometimes I'll still go along with it because it's my natural inclination. And so what I have to do, I have to move myself toward being aggressive. Not that I've actually become aggressive, but I have to be more confident. Um, And so sometimes finding the fight within me is enough for me to say what I, I truly know I should be saying right now. I hope that makes sense. What I don't want to do is continue being passive all the time. That doesn't get me where I want to get in life. Now, I know I'll never become that aggressive, or at least I'm unlikely to become that aggressive, because that's just not naturally my style. But we have to know, in stressful situations, where we're feeling right now and where we need to go to. So that's kind of what assertiveness is. Assertiveness is communicating your wants, needs and feelings in a way that considers other people's wants, needs and feelings. When you understand your own natural inclinations towards aggression or passivity, then you can choose an appropriate response to situations rather than react. So that's assertiveness. And to get behind that, what we need to understand is that our inner world creates our outer world. What's going on in your head affects your behaviour. And it's your behaviour that creates your results. At the heart of this 
is your values and beliefs. We always act in accordance with our values and beliefs. So for me, getting along with other people, friendship and community, they are higher values than winning at all costs. Yes, I'm goal-driven, but community is far more important to me than financial returns, more important to me than financial status. The vast majority of your values and beliefs came to you between the ages of 0 and 7. That's when, as a child, you just sucked everything up like a sponge. Everything you heard, everything you saw, and the experiences that you had shaped your values and beliefs and your sense of what's going on in the world. If your parents told you you were bright and clever, you tended to take that on. You believed that about yourself. Equally, if your parents told you that you were dim and stupid and you'd never amount to anything, well, you probably wouldn't. Regardless of your intellectual capacity, your views of yourself, very much shaped by others at that particular age, have set up a kind of rule set in terms of how you're supposed to behave. And we always do that. And this is something we could probably go into more in another episode. But what we need to understand is that the way we see ourselves is very, very important. If we see others as being more important than us, we'll put their needs first. If we think that we're not good communicators and we don't like using the telephone, then we'll probably avoid using the telephone at all. And if we do get on the telephone, well, we'll mumble and stumble over our words and it will be a right mess. Your inner world creates your outer world. So what we need to do is work on your mindset. Now, there's a model called Bartoli's Box. Basically, the way it works is that it all starts off with your attitude. Now, your attitude is affected by your values and your beliefs and what's going on for you situationally at the time. So let's give you an example. Let's suppose that I've got a tiny baby. I don't, but let's suppose I did. And all night, she's been screaming her head off. On top of that, um, I had a bit too much to drink last night and I feel a bit sick right now. Part of the reason I had a bit too much to drink was two of my clients, two of my favourite clients, ended up ending their contract yesterday. So I'd been feeling quite sorry for myself and I drank too much and right now I don't feel well. It's the beginning of the morning. I've got to go to work and I've got to see a client. Now this client's been messing me around. I need them to make a decision on something, but they just won't do it. So what's my attitude like now? Probably stinks, doesn't it? I'm not happy. I'm not in a good mood. I'm going to see this client that I see is difficult. What's my attitude to them? Well, my attitude is going to affect my behavior. So this is the second point. Your attitude affects your behavior. Whether I mean to or not, it's going to affect how I come across. I'm probably not going to be smiling much, am I? I might be quite blunt. I might be quite curt with what I say. I probably won't give a lot of eye contact. Even if I'm trying to be professional, it's going to show in subtle ways. My behavior is going to then go and affect my client's attitude. So the client's going to look at me and think to himself, well, do you know, he's in a filthy mood again today. It's not the first time either. He didn't even say hello when he walked into the room. He's a right grumpy so-and-so. So their attitude is not going to be good right now. They don't think the best of me. And so that is going to affect their behavior. So whether they started in a good mood or not, they're probably going to be quite rude and difficult with me now. Probably not smiling. They're not friendly. They're not in a good mood to do business with me. So they'll probably be quite abrupt. They'd be a bit difficult with me, make unreasonable demands, make accusations. And all of this is because of me and how I brought myself about. But Batali's box is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because when I look at their behavior, I'll look at them and think, do you know what? They're grumpy again. They're not going to do business with me. They're wasting my time. 
their behavior is fueling my attitude. And of course, my attitude affects my behavior and my behavior affects their attitude. It goes on and on and on in a, a vicious circle like that. So how do we change it? Well, what we do know is that we can't change them. We have to change ourselves. And that means either changing our behaviors or our attitude. Now, our behaviors, of course, we can do that and we can try and be professional. We can stop swearing. But if I can't control myself sufficiently, even unintentionally, I'll be sending out the wrong signals. So the best place to start is by setting your attitude. Our inner world creates our outer world. It affects our behaviors. It affects our performance and it affects our relationships. Well, it's all very well me saying, well, you've just got to choose your attitude and be more assertive. Control yourself. Don't just react. It's easy to say that, but how do you get in the habit of doing it? And what about in stressful situations where you go back to default behaviours? Well, becoming assertive is something that takes practice. It also takes committing yourself to knowing, understanding and practising your assertive rights. Now, we all have rights. We have the right of freedom. We have the right of life. We have the right to choose where we live. And in most situations, we have the right to choose who our partners are. Now, remember what I said about values and beliefs. Values are at the heart of everything. And beliefs are essentially a set of rules around how we're supposed to behave, how we interpret those values so that we behave appropriately within given situations. And what I consider appropriate and you consider appropriate may be different, again, based on our beliefs. Well, those beliefs may or may not be helpful. These beliefs are your set of rules. Nobody created them. Nobody wrote them down in stone. You can change your beliefs. So right now, I want to give you a set of beliefs or rights. So just take a moment and listen to these rights. So here they go. I have the right to be the judge of what I do and what I think. So that's, I have the right to be the judge of what I do and what I think. That's the first one. I have the right to offer no reasons and excuses for my behaviour. So some of these are going to be easier for you to accept than others. I have the right to offer no reasons and excuses for my behaviour. Okay. And the third one. I have the right to refuse to be responsible for finding solutions to other people's problems. So I have the right to refuse to be responsible for finding solutions to other people's problems. And I have the right to change my mind. I have the right to change my mind. And I have the right to make mistakes. I have the right to say, I don't know. I have the right to make my own decisions. I have the right to say, I don't care. And I have the right to say no without feeling guilty. Okay. So what you might want to do here is to take a moment, maybe write them down um, and really think these things through. Some of them you'll be able to accept very easily and others not so much. Let me take you through a couple that might be hard for you right now. If you're a natural caregiver, one of the things that you might find difficult is the one that says, I have the right to refuse to be responsible for finding solutions to other people's problems. Maybe it's your job to solve people's problems. But you know what? You don't have to work with everybody. If they're not a good fit, you don't have to work for them. And you're also not responsible for all of their problems. 
Now, suppose you've got a team of people that work with you. And if you don't have a team, there's still loads of other people that will make demands on you. Everybody does. We all make demands on each other because we all have our own agenda to be met. Now, if you was to say yes to everybody, and if you were to take on all of their problems, the things that were going on in their lives, the fact is that you couldn't get anything done. It would add a lot of stress and pressure to you. The only person that you are responsible for is yourself. And maybe your family as well. But even then, they still have responsibilities for themselves. Certainly once they grow into adulthood. So if your teenager needs a lift somewhere and hasn't thought to ask you before, it's his problem if he comes to you five minutes before and you're doing something else. It's not to say that you won't help him, but it is his problem. And if you can't help him right then, or if you choose not to help him right then, because perhaps he's not giving you enough notice, well, that's down to him. The other thing that goes along with it is saying no without feeling guilty. Sometimes saying no is the right thing. I know that we like to get along with people. A lot of us are people pleasers. But again, if you say yes to everybody, what you do is you overload yourself. There is only so much you can do. At some point, you're going to let someone down. So the smart thing to do is say no. And when you say no, what value is there for you in feeling guilty about it? Part of the reason you might be saying no is that you realise that perhaps you're not the best person for it or you've just got so much else going on there that something else is going to suffer. It's a sensible decision. It's not because you're mean. And one of the other rights that I mentioned was that you have the right to say, I don't care. And this usually gets the biggest reactions when I cover this on a course. I get a lot of charities who ring me up and they want a donation for one thing or the other. I get people knocking on the door. I get approached in the streets. Some of this because I'm a citizen, some of it because I run a business. One way or the other, so many people want lots of money from me. And there are so many needy causes. Children starving, homelessness, animals being neglected or beaten. So many worthy causes, but I cannot help everyone. There's a really practical reason that I can't help everybody. And alongside that, if it was to put all of my heart and worries and concerns into the plight in Africa and all these different things that are going on around the world, I would be an emotional wreck. I couldn't cope. So the way we do things is that we segment our lives. We put things in boxes. We compartmentalize things. And sometimes if somebody comes up to me and perhaps is about the Wildlife Trust or whatever, worthy as that is, I might have to say to myself, do you know what? This is a worthy cause, but it's not something I can get behind right now. There are other things that I need to be focusing my efforts, concerns and care about. So right now, I'm sorry, this is very worthy, but it's not something that's for me. So in a way I'm saying, I don't care. This is not important enough to me right now, even though it's a worthy cause. And sometimes when I look at everything going on, say two people arguing together, is it important enough for me to get involved in? Is it something I could care about? If it's not, then that's okay. That's their issue, not mine. So what I encourage you to do is to take these away and then look at them. Over the next two or three weeks, what would be really good is if you could take some time in the morning and before you go to bed at night and really work through these. Just have a look at them, read them through, read them out loud. Um, and just like affirmations, state them with positivity state them with meaning, repeat them like a mantra, and just see what happens. Just see how it affects your levels of confidence and affects your relationships, because it will. 
And by the way, if there's anything you'd like to add to that, any rights that you want to give yourself that will allow you to feel more confident and deserving of your place in this world, then go ahead. As long as they don't hurt anybody else, they're probably good for you. So those are your assertive rights. Working on our mindset is really important. One of the things that will affect our mindset is our understanding of the situation that we're in right now. Another thing that will help a lot is something called perceptual positions. It's seeing things from another point of view. Or in layman's talk, we need to learn to walk in someone else's shoes. There's a wonderful story in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Now, this is the second time I've mentioned this book today, so I'm going to put the link in the show notes for you. Aside from all that we're talking about here, it's an excellent book. I recommend that you get your hands on it. And in fact, if you go on YouTube, you'll also be able to get an unabridged audio version of this as well. But let me just read to you this short story, because it's about Stephen Covey when he undertook what he called a paradigm shift. Now, a paradigm is simply a way of thinking. So a paradigm shift is that we saw things differently. We start thinking differently about a situation. Stephen Covey writes, I remember a new paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze, as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time, and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. we just come from the hospital where the mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behaviour. My heart was filled with a man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. It's a powerful story with a powerful message here. The children's behaviour was inappropriate. But because Stephen Covey had a better understanding of what was going on for the man and his children, then he immediately changed his feelings, his thoughts, and his whole approach and attitude toward the man and his children. It would be really easy for Stephen Covey to be rude to the man, tell him he was a bad parent, his kids are hooligans, but it would have achieved nothing. By walking in someone else's shoes and have a better understanding of what's going on for them, it means we can take a step back and we can make a better choice about our responses. This comes back to being in control of the situation rather than just reacting to it. 
So let's just recap a bit. If we want to be more productive, if we want to get more of what we want, and if it involves other people, we need to be more assertive. And that starts with addressing our values and beliefs. It's also important to have a good grasp of the situation and to try to see the situation from the other person's point of view, from a different perceptual position. But you remember that I said that actually your reactions are largely reactions in a stressful situation. We go to default behaviours, particularly when that other person is stressed, and they go to behaviours that can be quite difficult for us. What we need to try to do is to view them as difficulties to be overcome rather than an attempt to undermine you. And I know that that can be hard to do when you've got somebody who consistently is behaving in ways that you see as problematic. There's often a number of things around that. It might be that they're feeling thwarted or unsupported. It might be that they're under exceptional levels of stress. It could be to do with your reactions to their difficult behaviours. It might be about inflexibility, both from you and them. And also what it might be about is learned behaviour. I spent 10 years working with adults with learning disabilities. And some of those had very challenging behaviour. One of the things that I come to understand about some of those challenging behaviours is that they were just simply learned mechanisms. They did it because it worked. I remember one woman with a learning disability that we worked with, and that when she was taken away from her activity in the community, so go to the gym or trampoline or whatever she was doing, she would scream. She would scream and scream and scream. And of course, in a public setting, that's very embarrassing. So what would staff do? Well, they would typically make concessions, five minutes longer, whatever. So even though these behaviours are inappropriate, they are effective. And that's a pretty extreme behaviour, but the behaviour could well be being obstinate, being difficult. They are often the best tool that that person has in their toolbox and they defer to it automatically in stressful situations. Now, Robert Branson wrote a book called Coping with Difficult People. And what he did is he came up with 10 different behaviour types that you're likely to spot. People are a complex mix of characteristics. It's difficult to put people in boxes, but what you will do is you'll be able to identify different people that you've known or do know who fit within these brackets. So let's quickly go through them. There's 10 difficult behaviour types. There's Sherman tanks, snipers, exploders, know-it-all experts, think-they-know-it-all experts, super agreeables, indecisives, unresponsives, negativists and complainers. 10 difficult behaviour types. Now we don't have time to go through all of them, there just isn't time on the show today. So what I've done is I've put together a little worksheet, I say worksheet, it's more like a little mini workbook that will take you through these difficult behaviour types, what they are and give you some coping methods around that. The first one are Sherman tanks. Now Sherman tanks were an American type of medium tank and they were used in large numbers during the World War II. These tanks were tough. And the Sherman tank behaviour types is very much the same. They are attacking, accusing, abusive, abrupt, intimidating types of people. They can be overwhelming and confrontational. Sherman tanks feel the strong need to prove their view of the world is always right. They have strong opinions and they're damn well sure that you're going to hear about them. And if you don't like what they've got to say, they tend to get irritated or angry. Anytime they come across resistance, they just become more aggressive. Sherman tanks see tasks as clear and concrete. They tend to make quick decisions. Whether they're right or wrong, they'll stick to them very resolutely. It can be difficult to shift their opinion. They tend to value assertiveness and confidence. 
people who are more passive are seen as weak. So this is a definite I win, you lose mentality. So have a think. Do you know any Sherman tags? Perhaps they're clients, colleagues, friends, people you network with. Perhaps in the main, they're decent people, as long as they're getting their own way. So what can you do about Sherman tags? For Sherman tanks, when they're on the roll, you need to get up and meet them where they're at. You need to stand up for yourself without fighting. If that's not naturally you, you need to find the courage to do it, because otherwise they will roll all over you. So first up, stand up for yourself, and then look to give them time to run down. We all run out of steam, even a Sherman tank. What you don't want to do here is worry about being polite, because they're not being polite right now. You just need to get in. Otherwise, you'll never get a chance to speak. So you need to get their attention carefully. And once you've got their attention, look to see if you can get them sitting down. Because we all know that when we sit people down, it tends to take the anger out of them. So it's certainly something that will help. Sherman tanks value people being direct. They don't want you pussyfooting around. You need to speak your own point of view. But at the same time, you want to avoid a head-on fight. So you need to get in there, find the courage, speak to be heard but not go out for a fight. And what you do need to do is be ready to be friendly. Don't fall into their mentality of I win, you lose. This isn't about who's going to win. You both want to get to an outcome, whatever that outcome is. So that's how we deal with Sherman tanks. Snipers. Now, snipers are different in their approach. They're still attacking like a Sherman tank, but they use a lot of teasing and innuendos and not too subtle digs. They tend to be quite sarcastic. And what they tend to do is hide behind crowds and social constraints. So I remember a HR event I went to years ago. Uh, One of my colleagues was a sniper and she used the opportunity to have a dig about the HR manager in front of the rest of the room, saying that it was what people thought and not owning it as her own thoughts and views. It was incredibly rude. It also wasn't very reflective of other people in the room. It was about her mindset. So she was hiding behind crowds. Um, They're often quite witty. And they share Sherman Tank's opinion of how others should act, but it's often very unrealistic. And if exposed, they can turn into a tank themselves. So these are difficult people. Who do you know that's a sniper? Are you a sniper? And what we need to understand as well with all of these different behaviour types is that there's positives to it as well. For example, Sherman Tanks, snipers, well, they get their point of view across. They don't leave nagging thoughts unspoken. You tend to know where they're at with things. Are you a sniper? Are you a Sherman tank? Well, if you're on the other end of dealing with a sniper, well, what you need to do is surface the attack immediately and call them out. Another sniper and you, it was the first week into a job in Morden that I'd just taken up and it was a team meeting. And I remember that a lady called Irene made a really cutting dig. It was really unnecessary, very, very rude. At that time, I didn't know what was going on for her. I didn't know why she was doing it. I didn't know anybody at that stage, really but I could see how uncomfortable everybody in the room was. And I remember my manager, Christian, as he turned to her and said, are you criticising me, Irene? And he just sat there and looked at her. You could see her squirm in her seat because he'd surfaced the attack. Now, once you've surfaced the attack, you do exactly what my manager did next, and that's that you give the sniper an out. So we did that by asking questions, and he moved the conversation along, and he took the pressure away from Irene, the sniper, very quickly. So it kind of let her off the hook. It was enough to surface the attack and get her out of that behaviour, but he wanted to let her save face after that. And that was a good thing to do. If, unlike Irene, 
the sniper doesn't back down, then what you might like to do is seek some kind of group confirmation or denial of the sniper's criticism. You say to the rest of your team or whoever's with you, say, so what do you guys think? And then they'll either come to your rescue or perhaps provide you the feedback that really the sniper was trying to get across and was valid. And whatever the outcome is, your next step is to move on to solve any problems that have been uncovered. So they've made a complaint about a system that you've just put in within your business. We need to look at why that system might not work and what you can do about it. Make sense? Okay, that's snipers. Let's take a look at another one. The next one is exploders. I love these names, don't you? Now, exploders are like the adult tantrum. It's rage that's barely under control. They tend to explode when they feel other people are against them. They feel thwarted or threatened. And they can go a few different ways with it. One is that they could end up shouting and swearing awful lot. They might cry. They might be silently enraged. So they could deal with it differently. But, you know, what's going on here is a real emotional crisis for them at the moment. They are no way in control. And exploders have a way of taking it all very personally. Unlike Sherman Tanks, who once it's done, would tend to just move on and forget. Exploders often take that anger. And when it simmers down, that often turns into suspicion and blame. Out of all the 10 difficult behavior types, they create the highest amount of resentment. Again, do you know any exploders? Are you an exploder? Do you tend to have a little tantrum? And let's face it, if you're really an exploder, it's probably no little tantrum at all. So what can you do? Well, very simple. You have to give them time to run down. When they go off, there is no real talking to them. So you need to give them a little bit of time to run down. But what you've got to do at the same time is show that you're taking them very seriously. They feel got at. They want to be heard and understood. So what you need to do is just let them run down a little bit. And at some point, you may need to interrupt. Maybe start off by saying that you're so sorry that they're upset. Then start asking questions about it. Whether you feel it's justified or not, it helps them to feel valued. And of course, once you've got them talking, well, that opens up the gates to solving whatever problem is going on for them. So that's exploders. Okay, now let's talk about know-it-all experts. Now, it's good to have people knowledgeable in your team or people that you're dealing with, but sometimes they can be a bit of a pain with it, can't they? Know-it-all experts tend to be highly productive. They tend to be thorough and accurate thinkers, and they're careful planners. They believe facts and knowledge prove stability, that you should trust them because they know what they're talking about. The downside is that they have a low tolerance for correction and contradiction. Who are you to tell them otherwise? What do you know? So as a result, they're condescending. They tend to talk down to you a lot. And they're impatient. They won't wait around for other people to catch up with their thinking. And nor will they particularly be open to listening to what other people have got to say. They, they won't seek input. These guys are not team players at all, as you can see. How do you deal with them? Well, you start by doing your homework. If you know that you're going to have a discussion with them about one thing or the other, make sure that you know your facts. If it's about an incident that's occurred in the past, speak to other people and get a good situational awareness about what happened. And then when you go in, you go in armed with information. When you speak to them, you need to listen and acknowledge. It's a good idea to question them and question them firmly. Don't confront them. But as they answer that, you can just keep asking more questions, delving into the details more. It does a few different things here. One is it helps them feel that you are listening and paying attention to them, as rightly you should. Another is it gives you a better understanding of what's going on for them. And thirdly, sometimes through questioning, you get people to realise that they've made a mistake. And then sometimes you don't even need to tell them that they're wrong. They'll see that they're wrong 
Um, and then you've got an opportunity to continue to discuss and to come up with some, some other agreement or way forward. What you must do is acknowledge their competence. And afterwards, it's a good idea to make some time to reflect. And finally, as a last result, what you might want to do is let them be the expert. You don't have to be in control all the time. You don't have to make all the decisions and call all the shots. While you don't want to give them free reign all the time, it's a good idea to let them lead when they need to lead or take their advice when it's appropriate to do so. Okay, so let's do one more. Let's have a look at indecisives. So maybe this is a client, it's a friend, it's a colleague, it's an employee. Sometimes people are just not good at making decisions. And they put off making important decisions because they don't want to hurt anyone. These are people pleasers. The trouble is, because people have different agendas and different points of view, we can't please people all the time. When they come across a situation where both people can't get what they want, well, they have a habit of being indecisive. They don't want to tread on anyone's toes or upset anyone. Undecisive peoples have high standards, particularly on themselves. They do their best to help people. But usually when push comes to shove and you need a decision, that's when they stall. And actually, I've had a lot of people come to me for coaching where they have been indecisive people. And so when we talked about working together, they talk about all the things they want to do in their life and the things they want to achieve. And they become also pumped and excited about their future if only they were to take hold of it and do something with it. But then when you invite them to work with you, they get scared. Because at that point, maybe they've got to make a decision about the money. Or maybe they realize, well, hey, minute, there's going to be a lot of work here and it's not going to be easy. And maybe they've realized that they've got to make decisions that's going to affect their other business partners. So they back down. What can you do with indecisives? Well, the first thing to do is establish a comfort zone. Make it okay for them to speak freely. So if I'm in a consultation with somebody who's a bit of an indecisive, so I make it clear right from the outset that what I value most is their honesty. And I want them to feel okay about being here with me today. And that if at any point they felt uncomfortable, they could end the discussion. We don't have to work together. We don't have to continue. And we can still leave friends. Creating that comfort zone gives them the confidence to think and discuss freely. The next thing you want to do is surface any issues. So again, using this analogy about, you know, somebody being stuck in a consultation and not quite ready to commit to the program. One thing that they might say is, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford it. I can't afford it is often a polite lie, as is I need to check with somebody else. So what you need to do is surface the issue. So to give you an example, what you might say to someone is, look, I understand this is an investment. This is an important decision that you need to make right now. But sometimes when people tell me that they can't afford it or they need to check with somebody else, what I often find is that usually it's because they're not quite sure. Perhaps they've got some questions. Perhaps they're worried that it might not work out for them. So when you tell me you can't afford it or you need to check with somebody else, is that really the issue or is there something else going on here? Okay, can you see that? We're surfacing the issue. And then what you want to do next is help problem solve. You can't pay for the program all in one go. Well, hey, what about an installment plan? Would that help? And when they do come to a decision, you need to reassure after the decision is made. If you don't do that, there's a chance they'll go back and change their minds. So reassure that they've made a good decision or at least a decision that they felt was right for them right now. And that's okay. And what you're looking to do here, whether you achieve what you set out to do or not, what you're looking to achieve is to strengthen your relationship with them. If you strengthen your relationship, and as we're talking about here as in our sales discussion, even if they say no now, that might just be a no for now. There could be a yes later on. If you don't strengthen the relationship, that'll be the last time you ever hear from them. 
So that's indecisive. Look, we've only covered about half of these. We still haven't covered they think they know it all experts. So these are a little bit different for the know it all experts. They just think they know it. We haven't looked at super agreeable. So these are the people who just go along with everything you've got to say. They say yes to everything. And they say yes, even if they don't believe that they can deliver on what they're committed to. They tend to overcommit. We haven't looked at those. We haven't looked at unresponsives, negativists, or complainers. I don't want to leave you shortchanged, so that's why I put it in the cheat sheet for you. I've outlined all 10 of those difficult behavior types and what you can do about it. And what I've also done is put down those assertive rights that I gave you earlier. So you can take a look at those and use those. I actually think this is probably one of the best cheat sheets I've given so far because I honestly think it's so valuable. I've taught all of this in courses and then people come back to me and they've told me what a massive difference has made for them. So I know it will do for you too. Improving your interactions with people, being more assertive is ultimately the thing that's going to get you more of what you want in life and in business. What you need to remember is that as Tina Sue says in her blog, Think Simply Now, it's not about you, it's about them. When people are negative or difficult, it's usually not so much about you, but really a reflection of what's going on with them internally. It's about their fears and their worries and their frustrations. As Tina Sue says, people are so often bored and unhappy with their own lives that they have a way of taking it out on others. So don't take it personally. Take a walk in their shoes. Can you see things differently? Is there another point of view? And most importantly, if you set your attitude, it will affect everything. Your attitude affects your behaviours, which affects their attitude, which affects their behaviours, and so forth. That's that Bataris box again. I've put links to all the stuff that I've mentioned today in the podcast on my show notes. You can get that as well as the cheat sheet that I mentioned around the 10 difficult behaviour types and how to deal with them. You can get that on my show notes page at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash eight. And that's the number eight, not the word eight. And my final thought today is that change can be very difficult. And particularly if you're somebody who's perhaps a little bit like me, more on the end of being passive, you need to step up and you need to speak out a little bit more. If you're more aggressive, of course, you've got to tone it down the other way. I'm not saying that immediately you will become confident. But what I am saying is that key to confidence is courage. The only thing you need to find more confidence is to have courage. Because the more you do the things that you should be doing, the more you practice your assertiveness skills, the easier everything gets. So that's it for today's episode, but not for the show. We are going to be back next time. And next time is going to be a killer episode. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about money. So we're going to talk about how you can get more of it, how you can keep hold of it, and how you can grow it. And I'm not talking about investing in stocks or shares or anything like that. I'm not going to get into taxation and accountancy. What we're talking about next time is your money type. So a little bit like we talked about difficult behavior type today, you also have a money type. And your money type pretty much sets out how much money you've got in your bank right now. So tune back in for the next episode. You're going to learn about your money type, your money blueprint, and how you can balance your money type so that ultimately you change your blueprint and you change your money situation in the real world. All that next time and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I never take it for granted. If you got to this point, I really thank you for listening to me ramble. I really hope it's been useful. Do get on and download that cheat sheet. I'll see you next time. I've been Clive Maloney. Here's to you and your highly successful business.